Race and wreckage, gasped Trumpkin in a ghost of a voice. The children, who knew Aslan well enough to see that he liked the dwarf very much, were not disturbed. But it was quite another thing for Trumpkin, who had never seen a lion before, let alone this lion. He did the only sensible thing he could have done. That is, instead of bolting, he tottered toward Aslan. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcasts, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you for joining us today. Just a reminder that we are going to be talking about the fourth book in a series, Prince Caspian, but general spoiler warning for the entirety of the Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we will go into tangents into other pieces of fiction and life that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give fair spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we're discussing chapter 11 of Prince Caspian, The Lion Roars Tonight. Maybe not tonight, but he's just roaring. Does Aslan sleep? Um, He waits, much like Chuck Norris. He just waits. Mm-hmm. Uh, he patiently rests. He rests and then he just leaves. Walk slowly 30 yards in front of you. Indeed. Chase, you want to give us a summary of this chapter? Uh, sure. It sounds like something I'd do. Yeah. So uh, the whole party, their whole crew, is finally awake, and Lucy explained everything to them again. Peter and Susan both said they could not see Aslan, and Susan especially insisted that Lucy was making it up and should just go back to sleep. Lucy says that she has to go with him whether the others do or not, and Susan tells Peter not to let her go. She says that she's being naughty, but Edmund, on the other hand, says that he will go with her since she's been right before. Peter isn't sure what to think, and the DLF had nothing to contribute, though he really doubts in Aslan's usefulness. Lucy says Aslan is beating his paw on the ground to leave now, and Susan objects that she can't force everyone to go, and it's four against one and all this stuff, but Edmund says they've got to, and there'll be no peace till they do. Peter decides to go too, even though he's annoyed, and Susan complains that if she behaved like Lucy, she could insist that they stay there by herself, whether they like it or not. Trumpkin says Susan should just obey the High King, and they all set off. Aslan walked at a slow pace about 30 yards ahead of them, and Lucy directed them as she had her eyes on the lion, and the rest had their eyes on Lucy. Aslan led them along the gorge and to a path down the edge. The others yelled that Lucy was crazy to go that close to the edge, but Edmund yelled out that there was a path. She was right. He rushed up to where uh, she was and, and yelled in excitement that he saw a shadow moving ahead. He still couldn't quite see Aslan, but he thought he might have for a moment. Trumpkin encouraged Edmund forward. Meanwhile, Peter told Susan to stop grousing, a word that exists and is written down. Uh, Aslan stepped lightly from stone to stone across the stream, stopping in the middle to take a drink of water. And when he looked back, Edmund could suddenly see him and shouted out in excitement to Peter, asking whether he could too. Peter said he thought he saw something for a moment, but not quite. The light's weird. And after they crossed the river and began up the gorge, everyone could see him but Susan and the dwarf. So really, just Peter could also see him. Uh, they climbed over a final precipice and saw the hill that stood in the place of the stone table. 
Aslan continued ahead, and at this point, even Susan came up and apologized, saying she sees him now. Lucy said it was all right, but Susan went on saying that it's actually worse than she knows, because deep down, she knew it was him all along, but she chose the way that made more rational sense because it was easier. They walked up to Aslan's house unchallenged, and Trumpkin grumbled about the lack of security or defenses. Peter knelt before Aslan and lifted his paw up to his face, uh, because that's what you do with a lion's paw, and said he was sorry for leading them wrong. Aslan called him my dear son and then turned to Edmund and told him, well done. Next, he turned to Susan and said she had listened to her fears and then breathed on her and asked if she was brave again. A little, she replied. And after this, he turned to the dwarf who didn't believe in lions at all and then said to come here in what was almost a roar. Now, the children knew that Aslan well enough to know that he liked the dwarf, but Trumpkin didn't. And Aslan pounced on him like a kitten, picked him up in his mouth, gave him a shake, tossed him up in the air and caught him in his velvet paws. And then Aslan asked him, son of earth, shall we be friends? Trumpkin shakenly replied, yes. And then Aslan commands the boys and the dwarf to go with haste into the mound and deal what they find there. They went in swords drawn. And then meanwhile, Aslan lets out a loud roar that started out low and grumbling, but then got louder and louder and shook the air and rang out through all of Narnia. Lucy and Susan watched as a bunch of creatures and tree people rushed out of the forest and surrounded them in what was kind of like a great celebration. As the sun rose, Lucy whispered to Susan that one of them was Bacchus and the donkey was Silenus and that Tumnus used to tell them about him. And they wouldn't have felt safe to come across Bacchus and his wild girls without Aslan. And then the chapter ends because why not leave it in the middle of a very random detail that doesn't make any sense? It was very confusing for the last two pages of this book. Or this I feel like these books have a surprising amount of like not debauchery but very close to it <laughs> like yeah i mean what i didn't include in that summary is that they're basically like handing out wine like drink it like the the whole vibe is very uh like bacchus and silenus are roman deities of like debauchery like that's where you get the word debauchery is from bacchus like well cal anything good done for bacchus is done for aslan i don't i know <laughs> so getting hammered in the name of aslan totally fine amen amen to that well chase we we start off and uh you know we left last chapter with uh aslan telling lucy like, hey, you need to, you know, tell everyone to come follow me. And if they don't, you got to follow me alone. So Lucy's now kind of stressed because she's like, hey, guys, we got to do this. And I will leave and go, go on my own. Uh, and Chase, this is just like, a, it's almost like we've rewound a few books uh, where it's like, Lucy, there's nothing there. You're crazy. It, you know, if C.S. Lewis does anything, he knows how to rewind a couple books and do what he's already done. It's uh, he knows, he knows it, man. It's uh, like so, reading the first chapter of any Harry Potter book where you get a recap of the entire previous year of the series. Yeah, except this time, you know, the, the roles of Edmund and Susan have been switched 
and Susan is the one who's kind of a butthole uh, because she's just she's kind of vicious, dude. Yeah, man. It. We talked about this off pod. Like I, I have more memories of the bat of the terrible movie for this book than actually the details of this book. And I don't remember Susan slipping this way. Like I don't remember her going down off the deep end. And that's really been the main narrative of the book so far. Like we've had more of Susan complaining and not believing Lucy than we've had of Caspian and the war that's supposed to be like the title of this book. Yeah. It's, it's definitely minor minoring in Prince Caspian and majoring in like Pevensey, like internal faith drama. So it's, it's real interesting, but yeah, Susan is basically just being like, she's hardcore gas. I've just been like, Lucy, you're crazy. Like you've been dreaming and now you're leading all of us astray, uh, which like I would understand if Lucy hadn't had experience in Narnia doing this very thing and being correct. Yeah. If this was book one, it would be a completely different story. Susan would just be the rational one. Whereas right now it's just kind of like it, you know how when every, well, Every teenage girl gets to that point where they're like, just suddenly hate their mom. <laughs> just suddenly it's like the worst, the worst language possible towards their mother for seemingly no reason whatsoever. Yes, Chase Freud, I do. It feels like that has happened with Susan and Lucy where just a switch has flipped and they've gone full like antagonistic sibling, which is so yeah. out of character for what we know so far. It is, it is for sure weird, but, you know, the good news now is that Edmund is now Team Lucy. You know, what? what even though it might be slightly reluctantly, he's Team Lucy because he's like, hey, I know what it's like to bet against this girl. So even if I can't see Aslan, I trust Lucy, so let's, let's go for it. And, you know, Peter and Susan are like, I don't know about this. Susan's real, you know, snarky. Uh, and Trumpkin's like, whatever, whatever Peter says. He has a lot of respect for the High King Peter all of a sudden. Yeah, he is bought into this army. Like, if Trumpkin and Nickabrick are two sides of a different, of like the same coin, like where Nickabrick is kind of the more like, like utilitarian, shady, but like still wants peace. Whereas Trumpkin is like the loyalist, like, like side of that coin. Trumpkin like goes full in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is a he is all ready to defend the the honor of the High King Peter, who he just met and who has only led him astray so far. Uh, but hey, you know, he, he, this kid beat him in a sword fight. So no, this, this kid, little brother, beat him in a sword fight. I mean, yeah. So should you know what? Never mind. It makes perfect sense, as all things do in Narnia at all times. Go for it, you know. But he's like, hey, whatever High King Peter says goes. And then Susan's like, meh, meh, meh. That's my impression of Susan right now. It's is just that, being kind of like, is that your impression of grousing? Is that what grousing sounds like? Sure. You know, we don't know what it is. And like we said before, that's too much effort to put in some research into this podcast. I'm, so. I'm 
triple clicking it on my notes because that's easier than typing it in anywhere. Grouse, verb, complain pettily, grumble. So I was pretty pretty accurate then. Is this uh, a fetishism? Why not? You know, a lot of things are. But uh, they they decide to go, and Susan's like, well, if I was acting like this, we could have just, you know, stayed put and, like, just complained, and uh, it would have been great and forced you all of y'all to stay here. And you're the youngest, Lucy. Like, why does your opinion even matter? Because, you know, youth makes you less valuable. Uh, and it's yeah. just like, golly, Susan's just the worst. Uh, even, you know, C.S. Lewis says, Susan was the worst. That's a quote. Uh, sorry about that, everybody. We had some technical glitches uh, happen right there. But to, you know, catch up where we were, basically, you know, C.S. Lewis is uh, communicating that Susan is just being a real, real pain in this situation. Uh, and Trunkin uh, says, all right, you know, just obey the High King Peter. He said, we're moving. So we're moving. So they all, you know, follow Lucy's lead as she is keeping her eyes fixed on Aslan, who's, you know, walking about 30 yards ahead of them at all times, uh, just keeping moving, keeping going. Um, the line there is, like, it's one of those, like, classic C.S. Lewis lines of, like, just drops in a super, like, deep theological concept into the middle of, like, a random sentence walking through the woods, which is 90% oh, yeah. of the series. Of uh, of Lucy had her eyes fixed on the lion, and the others had their eyes fixed on Lucy. Yeah, a lot of a uh, follow me as I follow Christ kind of vibes here. Um, but it was uh, really cool imagery, like we've said before. When he writes Aslan, he writes him well. Um, but it's like the others had only Lucy's direction to guide them. For Aslan was not only invisible to them, but silent as well. His big cat-like paws made no noise on the grass. It's just this cool, like, imagery of, like, hey, there is nothing that they can see or experience that would point to Aslan being there. Though Lucy knows he is there. He is, like, they strictly have to walk based on not even their own faith, but Lucy's, yeah. um, which is interesting. But he's leading them through the trees, and uh, it's, again, it's like they don't even know if they're dancing at this point because Lucy is so focused on Aslan. Uh, and, and what a cool thing. And we get another Trumpkinism thrown in in the middle where he goes, cobbles and kettle drums. Uh, Chase, I want to, you know, I think I want to collect all of his sayings and then test you at the end of this uh, book and see if you can remember which ones are real and which ones are fake. That that seems like a solid game. That feels, uh, feels right. I'm not going to win at that game, but... I don't know if anyone wins in this game, even in our list. He has so. too many, and they're so, so random. So random. But so cobbles and kettle drums, Chase. Uh, and, you know, he, they're just going down a, like, weird, like, cliffside. And it's becoming kind of uh, dangerous looking. And then Aslan, like, looks back and, uh, you know, with, with some happy eyes at Lucy. And Lucy claps her hands and begins running after it. And they're like, oh, my God, don't. Oh, I guess there is a path. Uh, and they fully don't trust Lucy. Like they do not. that that moment of like Lucy, you're crazy to get that close to the edge. Like that is like felt like such a subtle way for C.S. Lewis to say like they really, really didn't trust her. Didn't think that she had any sense in where she was going. And like 
like the idea, I mean, it's like, it's like if you've ever gone on a hike with your family and your mom is like, no, don't get too close to the edge of the path. It's like, mom, there's like a rail, like chill out. Yeah. It's uh, stairs. this is Mount Bunnell. There are stairs. <laughs> if it was Mount Bunnell, then uh, yeah, it's, it's not a steep hike. No, but uh, they, so they're like, oh, there is a path. And Edmund is now becoming the, the voice of like trust and faith here. Well, he's like, no, I'm, I'm with you. Like, uh, like, and he goes, wait, is that like, what is that great shadow uh, coming toward us? What is this? Uh, you know, and that's Lucy's like, that's, that's Aslan's shadow. And he's like, I believe you're right. I still can't see him, but I see his shadow. Uh, and he's like, I thought I almost saw him, but you know, it's bad lighting. There's a dog barking. That wind blew, blew through. You know, it's tough. I mean, what can you do? He's uh, he's just a giant, like ten foot tall lion. Yeah, uh, in a mess. But uh, they make their way through, and then Susan's still complaining, and Peter's like, "Dude, like, stop grousing again." They're throwing it in there. Stop grousing. Even a baby could get down here. I don't know if a baby, that's quite exaggerating. Like, you know, but uh, like, sure, it's an easy hike. Uh, yeah, they're and- walking slightly downhill. And Susan's just like, I can't believe she would lead us to such a treacherous place. Like, wow, Lucy, can you, bl- can you get a load of this guy, huh? Yeah, Susan's just not having it. It's uh, her entire personality is bitterness, this chapter. It's a. Uh, I mean, it's fun. It's a more compelling character, but is is it more interesting to have bitter falling apart Susan, or is it more interesting to have doormat Susan? Um, I prefer neither because give her some nuance here, other than like being like a stick in the mud or a naggy like like you know complainer yeah it it feels like a disservice to her character but also if this is gonna be who she is part of me is like you know honestly that is at least an interesting dynamic to add to the family like that that adds something new that we didn't have whereas like I mean, basically, she's just switched places with Edmund. But at the same time, yeah. it gives her something to do. Yeah. It seems I guess she has a bad job of writing her character to this point. We've just assumed that she's a very good person. But instead, maybe she was just kind of bitter and animal. Yeah. Time. Well, unfortunately, you begin to see kind of a turn for the worse with Susan here. And we won't necessarily get into it with future books at this point but uh it's just it's not a great you know direction for her but it is a really great direction for edmund who now can see aslan finally and he's excited uh and he's like running after him but like aslan has kind of kept moving forward he's playing a game of chase with them at this point yeah Uh, for the listeners the moment where aslan where edmund is able to see aslan it's kind of funny because Aslan stops in the middle of the river and leans down to drink some water. And we're kind of told like he like picks his face up and it's like wet and he looks back at them. And I just picture someone 
like shaking their hair out like dramatically. It's very, it's it's just very like, L'Oreal commercial. Yeah, it's uh maybe maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's as uh, but he so he runs away and then Edmund's like Peter, did you see him? And he's like, I saw something, but again, it's trickly in the moonlight, and you know, uh, you know, I just took my glasses off and. Uh, you know, it's tough. It's, it's a hard thing, but you know, he's, he, Peter's now being convinced. He's like, Hey, three cheers for Lucy. And I don't even feel half as tired anymore. And so they're going up the cliffs and they make their way through and chase the geography of this is kind of weird to me because they've been following this like uphill path back where they were right. They, where they had been previously. Uh, and they're walking alongside the river going up this like path and this this slope and then all of a sudden poof they're at the stone table we're here we did it i when did when did they cross the river when did like i think they crossed the river when edmund when aslan okay but like i just there's so many things that there's like we're here like for all yeah. the writing of walking that they're doing in this chapter, he explained nothing of how they got there. Yeah, it really, especially like given that in the previous chapter or two chapters, I don't whenever they were going through the woods and had arrows shot at them, they like got out of these woods and could see Aslan's how in the distance and then yeah. had to turn back. For them to just cross the river and then immediately be there doesn't make any sense since we know it went way down and then saw it super confusing. It's fine. But but whatever. It was the right way. Yeah, he knows the right way. And and now they're at Aslan's house. Hooray. And it's time for Susan to get her comeuppance a little bit. Yeah, such come up, which I mean, like, she does when they get over this precipice, stop next to Lucy and say, like, look, I'm sorry. I see him now. Like, I get it. I'm on board. I'm on the team. And then also is at least self-aware enough and genuine enough to say, like, look, like, I, I should apologize for more than just not believing you. I should apologize because... I actually did kind of believe you, but I didn't want to listen to you. And yeah. that, I mean, that's very honest. It's like, yeah, I think we've all had some kind of experience similar to that. Probably not high stakes, but it's a, it's a very mature thing for Susan to confess the full breadth of like, the way that she wronged Lucy rather than just be like, you were right. I was wrong. Uh, Absolutely. So it, it gives you hope for Susan. Again, as you mentioned earlier, these are only the beginnings of a, of a larger story arc for Susan, but, um, but yeah, it, it was a nice moment. And then they just walk down the very slight hill and are suddenly at their destination. They're, they're they're now at Aslan's house, uh, so they're they're there. Who knew? Yeah, yeah don't worry, don't worry about it. Uh, but Peter kneels down in front of Aslan and picks his paw up to his forehead, like like if you're 
picturing someone walking up to a king and kneeling and like kissing their hand, like Peter Peter kisses Aslan's paw, and it's uh, it was such a funny image in my mind to think of like someone walking up to like a bear sized lion and a giant lion, yeah, like. Yeah, it uh, it was a good image, but yeah, he apologizes to Aslan for leading them astray, and Aslan's super chill about it. He's just like, you know what, you my dude. Actually, he says, uh, "My dear son." My dear, that's son. his only response. Like his responses are really interesting here because Peter goes, "I'm so glad, I'm so sorry because I've been leading them in the wrong direction," uh, and he goes, "My dear son." That's it. It's his only response to Peter. And then he turns and welcomes Edmund and he goes, well done. Well done, good and faithful Edmund. Uh, and then he turns, it says, after an awful pause and a deep voice, he turns and says, Susan. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Susan makes no answer. And like, she was just crying. And she goes, and, like, she didn't say anything. And he just says, you have listened to fears, child. Uh, come let me breathe on you forget them are you brave again and she goes a little aslan so yeah, not convincing no my takeaway from her was like it didn't work which right is also a weird theological conversation that could be had but it's uh i think yeah. all of this you know to say it's like you're you're seeing the progressive like loss of faith of Susan and it's and it's sad to watch yeah it's it's a bummer because like we remember only a chapter ago when Lucy felt Aslan's lion strength and that's what gave her courage to do any of this meanwhile yeah. Susan unaffected by the same breath by the same right. life, and it kind of seems like an analogy for the Holy spirit in that sense of like, well, Lucy received it. Susan didn't Lucy bore out its effects. Susan long-term will not. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's, it's something to be grieved. What a sad day. Susan. Yeah. This is a, yeah. Beginning of a lot of sadness for Susan. Um, But any turn upon what's up. And then he turns to Trumpkin. And he goes, now, now, son of Earth, uh, the famous swordsman and archer uh, who doesn't believe in lions. And he's just like, he's kind of having fun with him, but he's also like very much convicting him. And he goes, come here. And he's like roaring it in a command. And then we get another Trumpkinism and he goes, wraiths and wreckage. Uh, and like, he's just, is he like, Trump is just, where does he get all these, man? Uh, but he's he's terrified because he can now see Aslan. He's never seen a lion before, let alone a giant lion like Aslan. Uh, and he, you know, saunters his way over. Uh, and like all of his fears, Chase, are totally founded. Like, because what's the first thing Aslan does? He pounces on him and then he carries him in his mouth. In his open lion jaw, like the- throws him in the air. It's uh, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> Trumpkin would right around. He catches him in his giant paws, 
and is like staring him down with his giant lion face. Like Aslan's just the mafia out here, like not breaking your legs, but giving you a beating just to let you know they could. Giving him a literal shakedown. (laughs) This is some blood in, blood out kind of stuff. Cause he like, yeah, he just, he, he terrorizes him. And then once Trumpkin is good and fearful and like panting because he's been thrown around, he goes, son of earth, shall we be friends? (laughs) And and, like Trumpkin is like exhausted. It's he's like, (laughs) <laughs> yes like he's panting and you know can't catch his breath it's like good god aslan what are you doing scooby-doo shaggy yes <laughs> like zoinks uh yeah that's uh what if he said no like he doesn't have an option here no like, he, this is not conversation a- that could be had there but the irresistible call uh but he, so that's it with Trump getting Aslan. You know, he terrorizes him, asks him to be friends, and then they are. And then he goes, All right, you three, sons of Adam and son of Earth, go to the mound and deal with what you will find there. That's ominous. Uh, I wonder if that's going to come up next chapter. Uh, and then he turns to the girls and doesn't say anything, but just like the boys salute and then run away. Uh, and then. Uh, Edmund and Peter no longer look like boys, but they're starting to look like the men that they used to be. Uh, and Aslan lifts his head and roars. And this is a really cool little section because, uh, you see the awakening of all of the, you know, Narnian creatures and trees and it's super neat. And it definitely had similar things to it that we saw in the magician's nephew when Aslan was first singing all of creation in the being in Narnia mm-hmm. and uh, magician's nephew was written after this book. I'm like 98% sure. And right. The magician. Yeah, I believe it was the second to last book. Yeah. So like, that's a prequel. And so you got to think that he's playing with this moment and then kind of making that the whole creation of Narnia. Yeah. And so it's kind of, it's fun to see the parallels there that, that are held on to when a lot of them were thrown out <laughs> when he yeah. wrote that book. A lot of the, yeah. the story gets a little bit altered, just a tiny bit, but uh, it's, it's fine. But yeah, he, he lets out this roar that starts as like a low note grumble and then just literally shakes the entire world. Like everyone can feel it. And even like, Miraz's camp is like shaken awake and it's like, whoa. Um, and then we have a party. We just have a nice, yeah. is, is it a romp, Kel? Is it a romp? So all of these, you know, the dryads and all of the woods and everything, all the trees, there's a real cool line where it says like a blast, a black mist was creeping on the ground and then like a stormy wave of a black sea, it was rising and it was the woods all approaching Aslan. And then they just start going nuts. They start dancing uh, there's a lot of dancing in this uh, and they're, they're going hard and just having a lot of fun. There's a, you know, there's a, a dude who's surrounded by like wild looking girls. There's a, there's a donkey. Everyone's going nuts. Uh, like the, the guy's like, it's a romp. Everyone, it's a romp. Uh, and like, they're, you know, having a good time. And then he, he gives us some description chase. Like he uses all of these words 
none of them mean anything to me. Like they were like, Lucy's like, it may have been a tig. Or <laughs> it was rather like blind man's buff. It was not unlike hunt the slipper. Chase, these words mean nothing to me. I I don't know either. I don't know if they're references to stories that people in the 50s would have known or in England would have known or if they're like songs. It's just may, maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, earlier on that same page, it's it's just so funny that this is how he decides to end this chapter. Uh so talking about some uh, some dude who's there whose face is almost too pretty for a boy's. Uh, mm-hmm. And Edmund said a few days later, there's a chap who might do anything. Absolutely anything. <laughs> he seemed to have a great many names. Bromios, Basarus, and the Ram were three of them. There were a lot of girls with him as wild as he. There was even unexpectedly someone on a donkey. And everyone was laughing. And everyone was shouting, Uan, Uan, oi, oi, oi. Is it a romp, Aslan? Cried the youth. It's this becoming. And then it gets even weirder, Chase, because, like you said, this is how he ends the chapter is through this little section. And there's this, you know, really large, large uh, man riding on a donkey yelling out refreshments refreshments and falling off the donkey because he's drunk and he is like he's tried to hold himself up and the donkey is now even like going crazy and he's walking on its hind legs so the donkey's drunk apparently too uh and they're passing out wine to everyone hot houses your people may have you've never tasted such grapes yeah they're they're passing out wine to people and they're yelling refreshments, refreshments, uh, and uan 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 oi oi oi. Is this like Ozzy Ozzy Ozzy? I don't know. But <laughs> and then everyone just like immediately flops over because they pass out from all of the debauchery and like they're they're just chilling. And then Su- Lucy and Susan start having this conversation. She's like, Oh, Lucy's like, I know who they are. The boy with the wild face is Bacchus, and the old one riding the donkey is Salinus, i.e. the Roman gods of wine, drinking, and partying. Yeah, like Bacchus, I'm pretty sure, is where we get the word debauchery from. Yes. De Bacchus of debauchery. Yeah, that's... uh, Why do we need this? (laughs) Why? What could this possibly add to the story that's being told here that we needed to know that this was going on? You need a giant, like, like rager being thrown by Roman deities, which exist in Narnia, apparently. I mean, more evidence of the multiverse in in the Narnia, uh, but also like. I just, I I get the idea that we need some kind of like celebratory, like, man, isn't it great that Aslan's back? Yeah. Look, the trees, they're awake. We're so excited about like if the trees came out and they just had a line dance. Yeah. I'm fine with the dancing. 
but it's when you bring in gods of debauchery and then gods of debauchery and then also no one else in the camp that they're literally outside the front door of knows or participates or is involved in any way to make this relevant to the rest of what's going on. This is literally like they just took a pocket universe out, out of what was actually happening in the book. And C.S. Lewis is just like, you know what? I've been reading some Roman mythology lately and I really want to write down what if you actually ran into these folks. Like that's what's happening here. And it's weird. (laughs) The chapter ends with Susan going, I wouldn't have felt safe with Bacchus and all of his wild girls. If we'd met them without Aslan and Lucy's like, I should think not. That's how the chapter ends. It's just this weird statement of like, yeah, these probably aren't like the safest guys to be around. I mean, the boy with a wild face who looks like he would do anything. And I mean, anything. Yeah. Who is getting, who's like passing out wine to random people. Yeah. Like, uh, this is a weird, weird way to end. What are you doing, C.S. Lewis? This is. No, it's so weird, man. I I don't understand this at all. And like, this kind of goes back to our like conversation in Witch in the Wardrobe of like when they're passing around like some sort of drink to all the kids and they fall asleep and it's like what like what i mean it's it's the sort of thing that we've had issues with through the entire series c.s lewis's biggest problems are pacing and unimportant details it's just and it's when those unimportant details become wildly like yeah inappropriate or like yeah. not in fitting with the culture or morality or or actual like characters of the book that we're seeing. Yeah, this is where it's like. Part of me is like, I hope that like you know Narnia never really gets picked up by like an Amazon Prime or like a like an HBO or anything like that, because what if they start like having all these like teenagers and kids start like being debaucherous? I mean, first off, the slow, the slow read through the books make me think that I don't think they'd actually be that good if you broke them up outside of just telling the whole story at once. Mm -hmm. Like maybe like in a, like three episode per book mini series, <laughs> but yeah, uh, like that could be done in a way that like honors the source material and also like is interesting to watch. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's uh, C.S. Lewis doesn't seem to actually be <laughs> that careful of a of a narrator or writer in oh. in these books, like it really does feel like he just sat down like stream of thought, wrote it out and then sent it off to the publisher and collect on the check. Yeah. And but no one's you know, talking about it, Cal. No one's talking. Hard hitting reporting we're doing. Yeah. For the, for, for all of our listeners, you heard it here first. Uh, but Chase, uh, would you like to dive further up and further in? Uh, sure. Sounds great. Um, my further up and further in really just wanted to like hit back on the point of, uh, discipleship and 
basically just kind of wanting to pick apart the the narrative, the like strain of this book of like them not being able to see Aslan following Lucy. It's a really interesting way that it develops where you start with just Lucy, who is kind of in the role of the faithful in this chapter, where she is the only one who can currently see Aslan, the only one who currently knows which way Aslan is leading. And as we're told in the book, she has her eyes fixed on Aslan and the others have their eyes fixed on Lucy. And so she starts leading them. And even though they can't see her, they're trusting her enough to lead. And then as they follow, more and more of them gain the ability to see Aslan, whether it's just a shadow or whether it's just maybe a glimpse of him. And then at some point, they begin to be able to see him themselves. And it's this kind of progression of in, in the Christian world, we talk about discipleship and it's basically just a way of talking about like the way that people learn and grow under Jesus. And it's this idea that a person basically has mentoring relationships or ways that they influence other people towards Jesus in the ways that they live their life and in the relationships that they have. And you have someone who has a clearer vision of Jesus leading people who have less clear visions of Jesus in hopes that they will join them in having a clearer vision of Jesus. And it's just a really interesting kind of cool, like picture analogy metaphor for discipleship in this chapter. Uh, It's kind of like a uh, allegory in that sense. Absolutely. Mine follows right alongside what you were saying, but kind of on the other end, right? You're talking about like the faithful following Jesus and following those who they want to be like. Um, and mine would be like, it's it's interacting with the faithless, right? The people who uh, do not have faith and have these interactions with Christ regardless. And you see really two examples of this, right? You see Trumpkin, uh, who is the faithless, right? He has never had an experience, doesn't actually think that this experience exists, right? And then he has an encounter with Aslan and it wrecks him, right? He sees the uh, the fullness of severity uh, of Aslan. He sees his power in display. He sees his, uh, his ferocity, but then he also sees his friendship, right? And from this moment afterwards, for the next, you know, book at least uh, after, Trumpkin is a faithful follower, right? He is a person devoted to uh, Aslan's cause. Um, he is a great supporter of Caspian, uh, and he will be uh, an awesome character to watch develop uh, through this. Um, but then you see Susan, and I want to give a quick, this is a spoiler alert, like heavy, you know, code red spoiler uh, for the end of the book. If you don't want to, or the end of the series, if you don't want to hear this part, um, you know, skip ahead, uh, you know, a couple, or like a minute or two. Um, but you see the interaction with Susan here, and we've referenced it never without speaking it outright, is that at the end of the series, Susan will be counted among the faithless. Uh, she will not be one of the Pevensey children that join uh, in, you know, the end of all things and get to celebrate uh, eternal life, quote unquote, with Aslan. Uh, because she has be- lost faith. She has decided that all the experiences she had when she was a kid with Aslan 
were fake. They were things that she made up. They were games that she played uh, because that's more rational. That makes more sense than what the experiences she had. And you, you see this even in her interaction with Aslan now is that she's not fully committed. She's not fully in like her brothers were who salute Aslan and, you know, immediately march off to, you know, go into battle. They're not like Lucy, who's always been faithful. They're, she's not even like Trumpkin, who will be changed after this, right? Uh, she is somewhat affected, but not not entirely, because she still doesn't fully want to believe, even though she knows what is true. And it's a really sad reality that faces her. Uh, and you you really see the beginning of the decrease of her faith here, even having experienced Aslan himself. And, you know, this is why it's like, you have the conversation with people where it's like, hey, like if Jesus was walking around here, it'd be a lot easier to have faith in him. And it's like, would it? Because even his closest followers abandoned him. And, you know, his some of his closest people were the ones who sold him out. Uh, so it's like we it's it's such a big deal to have personal saving faith. Uh, and you see the effects of the opposite here and you begin to see that downturn. Uh, but Chase. We've romped, we've partied, and I think it's time for some refreshments, but, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, something that's more appropriate than just getting hammered uh, right now. Just Uh, grape juice. Just grape juice. But uh, while I'm going to gather us uh, some some refreshments and uh, find a donkey, uh, would you mind telling our listeners uh, where uh, they can find more of our podcasts and how they can help us? Yeah, if you don't want to be a donkey, you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, yeah, Audible, Google Podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts, you could probably find us there. Um, and while you're there, we would love if you lead us, leave us a rating and review, if you share us with your friends, uh, and also if you want to keep up with when we drop new episodes and interact with, with us in any other ways, you can find our Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts. Uh, and we would love to see you there as well. Until next week, uh, when we will all fall down, collapsed in exhaustion from our party. Let's be friends. Yeah, my teeth, nooks, yeah. and crannies are they are they are clean. <laughs> I mean, hopefully there weren't too many crannies because then you've got a problem. But that's why. Yeah, no, no, no bad crannies. You know, just like the crannies that are like just the the you know regular space between teeth. <laughs> the, so. so that's what you want. Yeah, you no, no at some point you end up with just one big. I don't even know what they're made of. Not plastic tooth. I would like one plastic tooth, please. <laughs> that is all. No, it's just all of it. It's just like a single, it's a single entity. All of my teeth just merge. Kind of looks like you're wearing a bite guard, but. Yeah. <laughs>